while ago I read a story about a group of people from Vietnam who had lost loved ones in the war, and they had immigrated to the States, and because of their religious beliefs, they thought it was really important to go back and find the remains of their loved ones who had been taken to an island as prisoners of war. And they wanted to have success in this, to find the, where the loved ones' bodies were buried. And in order to, to gain the success, they, they saved all this money, and they bought passage to this island. And then when they got to the island, they got to the shore of the island because of the dictates of their false religion, they wanted the favor of their false gods. And so they took money and they piled the money up on the beach and they burned the money as an offering to God, their gods, small g. Today's message is called burning money to the gods. It is possible, according to what the Bible says, for us to give in a way that doesn't please the Lord to work in a way that doesn't please the Lord, to worship in a way that's not pleasing to the Lord. It's possible to give something to God that he doesn't want or to give to God in a way he doesn't want us to give or to give to false gods. It's possible for us to take money or time or effort or investment of time and, and talent and invest it in a way that really isn't pleasing to God. And it's no more an offering then than burning money to a false god. In Philippians chapter 4, we've been preaching this summer through the book of Philippians, and we're calling the, ser the series Turning the Bethel Wheel because the series of messages has been a series of messages gaining inspiration and insight about how to follow Jesus and how to help follow Jesus from this group of people who follow Jesus and helped others follow Jesus. And you know this, a couple of the main characters here in this book, obviously the author of the book, Paul, the recipients of the book, the Philippian people. But also a man uh, services today for the second time in the book, whose name was Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus has come as a representative of the church in Philippi to Paul, who's in prison, probably most likely in Rome, a long way away. And he's bringing a gift not the first time he's done this. He's bringing a gift to Paul as he's in, in prison. And Paul writes this thank you note that's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, we have newlyweds here today, I happen to notice. And sometimes newlyweds are given. We have more than one set of newlyweds. Sometimes newlyweds are given a small gift, like maybe a toaster. And if you got a toaster... Did you, get a, did you guys get a toaster for your wedding? Maybe a blender? And then what did you do? You took a little, a little card and you sat down and you wrote, thanks for the blender. Thanks for the toaster. We laughed. We cried. We just loved the toaster. Every time we toast our toast in the morning, we just stop and think about you. There's the toaster thank you note. Now, if you needed a kidney or a liver or a lung, and you were about to die, and someone sacrificed to give you one of their organs, your thank you note might be a little different. There's the toaster thank you note, and there's the, oh my, you have made quite a sacrifice. If you read this thank you note from Paul, you can see that it's beyond toaster. It's Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. 
uh, it's a significant thank you from Paul. Here's what it says. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul starts out his thank you note saying, thanks for what you gave me. And, you know, it's wonderful you gave me this. And I have learned actually to do without but I'd rather, you know, do with. But then he says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Um, Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Notice the language. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul reaches back into the Old Testament to language especially that the Jewish people that have Jewish heritage would be very familiar with. And he uses this time-honored, sacred language. That gift you gave, That wasn't just a little convenience for me. He says, that was to God, and he was pleased. That was a sweet-smelling sacrifice to God. And then he says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever. Amen. And then he has some closing comments. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is a beautiful thank you note. And in it, there's some rich things that Christians have loved for a long time. For instance, I've learned to be content in every situation. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or maybe especially verse 19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Most of the time that we quote those, we have kind of lost sight of the backstory. Can I I tell you this? There's always a backstory. We don't always know it, but often we we can discover it. There's always a backstory. When I was a little boy, we, we had a thing called the monthly hymn saying, and I loved it when someone would introduce a hymn that I was familiar with and tell me the story behind it that I wasn't familiar with. I never sang the hymn again without thinking of the backstory. It really made it so much more interesting. I have a pastor friend named Jeff Mannion. He has a different way of saying this. He says, when you read the Bible, he says, don't kill the characters. In other words, it's another way of saying Never read the Bible without trying to discover the backstory. So when you say, my God will supply all your need, 
the backstory is here are the Philippian Christians who are poor, giving to a man who's in prison. And they're giving to him, and he's saying, God has used your gift to encourage me, and he's going to supply all your needs. Or, or when you read, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Paul is not saying, if I believe in it, I can play in the NBA. If I believe in it, I, I'll tell you something I, I, I pretty much know. If I believe in it, I can't play in the NBA. Somebody says, well, the Bible says I can do all things through Christ. Well, I guess if Jesus wanted to supernaturally make me able to play in the NBA, then I could. But I wouldn't follow me around and see if I'm going to get signed by an NBA team because that's not going to happen. And that isn't what Paul is saying. Paul says, I learned to be content when I don't have anything. And I've learned to enjoy when I have other things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul is just saying, Paul isn't saying, you know, this folly that whatever I can talk myself into believing I can achieve. Well, that's just not true. I'm probably never going to be good at math. That's probably good. It's probably more likely that I will play in the NBA. Then I'll be really good at math. Or plumbing. I will never be good at plumbing. It's, it's not going to happen. I have a plumber son. I FaceTime him. And he walks me through my plumbing repairs, the minor ones. And even that gets messy sometimes. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. What, Paul, what God is saying through Paul, if you know the backstory, is this. Whatever I call you to do, you can do. Whatever I am, expect of you, I will strengthen you to do. And that's what he's saying, because you know the backstory. Because you didn't kill the characters. Or, or even when he says, again, my God will supply every need of yours He's, also, he's obviously referring to those Philippian believers. I want to talk to you today, though. Is there, there are a number of things here in this text. I want to talk to you briefly about, briefly, relatively briefly, I want to talk to you about the things that you can expect to happen when you invest in gospel venture. And that's what this whole book is about. It's about Paul giving the gospel, going to prison for the gospel, being willing to die for the gospel, the people gathering and creating a, a gospel a community, a Jesus group. And when you participate in that, what can you expect to happen? Six things. Number one, you learn contentment. When you, six powerful things that happen when you invest in gospel advance. When you invest, somebody said it this way, your time or your talent or your treasure or your testimony in gospel advance of any kind. When you do that, these are some of the things you can expect to happen. First, you will learn contentment. So Paul is in prison. The Philippians are in poverty. But he's writing a thank you note because he's learned to be content whether he's free, which you'd prefer to be, or whether he's in prison. He says, I'm content in prison. Second thing, you experience the power and the reality of God. Verse 13 there, um, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul says this, my experience is this. Even though I have been a persecutor, and I have been persecuted, even though sometimes I've been free and other times I've been imprisoned, I've realized that God's power doesn't depend on whether things are going my way or whether I'm in prison or out of prison. Have you had this experience? Has this been your experience? I think for many believers, this you, you have at least some measure of experience this way, that when you get involved in God's work, and when God's work is primary to you, when you say, here's what God wants me to do, I'm going to be a part of that. 
part of giving, a part of witnessing, a part of sponsoring a small group, helping in a one, teaching Sunday school, being on the praise team, and then you're engaging and you're good at money, so you help with the church money, or you're good at working with your hands, so you help in the in the in the work of God, volunteering at a Christian camp. When you do that, what you notice is the reality of the living God, and especially like in your finances, in, in, in having your needs met. Here's an example. So I had that chunk of time when I was, okay, when I was uh, 17 years old, they paid me $45 a week to be a pastor. Thank you for paying me more than that, by the way. But they paid me $45 a week. It was, it, was a, it was a great opportunity for me. And I appreciated that $45 a week. And I got paid every week $45 to be a pastor. And every week since then, every single week since then, up until the end of March 2017, a church gave me a check. And the end of March 2017, the church stopped giving me a check. And I, I had no income, and I had no insurance, and um, I had, uh, shortly thereafter, I got an interview here, but I wasn't really sure what how I would make my living. I did substitute school teaching. I started taking opportunities to speak at camps and conferences, which isn't a really high-paying thing. Got in my old used Jeep, as you know, you know the story started driving around here's what i figured out while i was doing that my god shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by christ jesus i can do all things through christ who strengthens me i've learned how to be content in anything i discovered that in a more in a powerful way when they weren't giving me a paycheck every week have you been there when you get in, when you say god my life is yours I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to go where you want me to go. Then you aren't dependent on a human paycheck. You're dependent on supply from God. And this is one of the most beautiful ways to discover the reality of living God. That's what Paul says in verse 13. Third thing is the investments that you make are internal. Eternal. Look at verse 17. Paul says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. This wasn't just kind of like syrupy religious talk like we sometimes do this is paul speaking from deep experience he says it's good to take the thing you know to invest in things that nobody's ever going to take away from you it's good to invest in things that are going to pay off forever things that really matter investments that can't change when the stock market changes and and that and notice in verse 14 Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know in the beginning of the gospel I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me, giving, receiving, except you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs. Listen to this, once and again. When people helped me when I was in the red Jeep journey, they would say sometimes, I want to help you. And I would say, well, thank you very much. Sometimes those people would give a one-time gift, which I really appreciated. Other people would say, I'm going to give you a gift every month, which I really appreciated. And, and, and sometimes it would just, I was, took a phone call once from a brother. He's a member of our church right now. And he said, we, 
me and my wife want to help you. And I said, I appreciate that. There are different ways of doing that. And I know what he had in mind. Decided that they would give me a regular gift every month. Well, can you imagine how you feel about somebody like that who just faithfully over and over helps you? I'll tell you how you feel. You feel it's, it's not a toaster thank you. Okay, it's not a kidney thank you, but it's not a toaster thank you. It's like, wow. Paul's like, I love you. You did this over and over again. Some of you have helped with the children in this church through generations of children. You've been doing this a long time. You didn't just get up one Sunday morning and say, I think I'm going to go and I'm going to fulfill my duty to the children of the church this week. You did it over and over and over again. Some of you made sure that our church looks beautiful and the grass is just the right no weeds on Sunday. And you didn't just do it. You did it every Thursday, every Thursday, every Thursday, every Thursday. On, on God's behalf, can I say to you, thank you for that. Thank you for that. That, the payment for that will go on and on and on throughout eternity. That's a fragrant offer to the Lord. You make eternal investments. So when you're involved in gospel venture, when you understand the law of sowing and reaping, when you give to stuff that really matters, you learn contentment, you experience the reality of living God, you make e eternal investments, and you learn to depend on God. You, you remember last week? I, I'm sure you remember everything I said last week, right? And one of the things I said last week, which I know you will never forget, is there are, that, remember the, the, the book idea, things old people say. Things old people say. Here's another one you hear people that have walked with the Lord for a long time, who know the Lord, who love the Lord, they'll say it over and over again. You can't outgive God. God is, you know, faithful in that way. In other words, what they're saying is you can depend on God. You know, when you're young in the Lord or inexperienced, you might wonder, how is this ever going to work? I remember one week, Lois and I, we had... We, want, we, we, we felt like we needed to give to the church $50. And, um, and I remember I had that $50 set aside. And then I decided that things were too tight. And I decided not to give that $50. Now, you can say whatever you want to about this, but I know what I know. Lois knows what she knows. The dryer stopped working that week. So I tried to fix it, and I made it worse, which is how I roll. So eventually I called somebody who feeds his children by fixing dryers. And guess how much it cost? $50. I looked over at Lois, and she says, we should have just given that money to the Lord. Now I know what you're thinking. Oh, God doesn't work that way. It's like, yeah, he does. Because... Not, not that he's arbitrary or mean. That's because what? I believe with all of my heart, God was teaching a young couple, you can depend on the Lord. You can depend on him to take care of you. You can depend on him to feed your kids. You can depend on him to pay the taxes. He's dependable. But you have to experience that. You have to invest in the things of the Lord and helping others. And, and, uh, and this is what he has said. When Paul said, my parents used to quote 
to me over and over again a statement made by the Chinese missionary Hudson Taylor, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. Growing up, dozens and dozens and dozens of times, my parents who would have a need, mom, dad would be working, the church that didn't pay much, the, the, the school teaching that, I mean, our family, things were close. We were so close that when my parents taught school, that's when we felt like we were rich. And I think you know that school teachers aren't paid what they deserve to be paid. But that's the way it was. But my parents, mom would be sewing and get some money that was needed. And my parents would say, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. I covet for you the opportunity of having needs that you have to depend on the Lord to meet. And when you're involved in gospel venture, you learn to depend on the Lord. And number five, you please the Lord. When you, when you give, when you invest, when you give God time, give God your gifts, talents, your money, or your testimony, when you host a small group in your home, or when you help with making the hot dog for the church picnic, then you're doing something that's pleasing to God. It's, that's why that language is there that we've made much of today. A fragrant offering, this is in verse 18, a sacrifice acceptable pleasing to God. I like split pea soup, especially in the fall. I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I was at church I was serving one day, and I decided that I would warm up <laughs> split pea soup in the church's microwave. And then I got a phone call, and I forgot it was in there. Do you have any idea how bad burned split pea soup smells? You can actually ruin a microwave doing that. I had to buy the church a new microwave people were mean and stingy i'm just kidding i decided i need to go buy the because i because this <laughs> the burnt split pea soup smelled so bad when your motives aren't pure or when you give in a way not pleasing to the lord or when god asks you for this and you give something else it's not a fragrance to the lord <laughs> it's a, it's a stench to the lord I bought my wife a gift on our first Christmas, and she was very polite about that gift. Are you tracking with me right now? I gave her the gift, and she said, I remember her saying, she, I mean, she's, she's raised by decent folk. She said, thank you very much. Appreciate the gift. Um, but her eyes didn't light up like you kind of want to happen. And then once I, I think at, Maybe they're in their first year of marriage. I remember, I think, I think I ordered flowers, which to me are like, how silly is that? You get them, you look at them, you throw them away, soon they wilt. Like you could actually buy a book and you could keep it, which would make my eyes light up. I noticed that when I got her those flowers, though, she had this smile and her eyes were bright. Her eyes lit up. The next Christmas... I thought, I got to do better than last Christmas. I got to get beyond that polite thank you, you know. And so I was driving by a furniture store, and I thought, well, I'll go in there and I'll, I'll lay something away, <laughs> something expensive. It will help maybe to throw money at this, you know. So it wasn't like super expensive, but it was for me, it was, it was quite a gift. And I bought this clock, 
it was uh, that you wind up, you know, a small wall clock that you wind up. It was wood. It was nice. And it cost enough that I had to lay it away and stop by from time to time and make payments on it. And I was really happy when I was able to pay off that clock and wrap it up in a big box and give it to Lois for Christmas. There was a little bit more of a smile on her face that year. Not long ago, we still have that clock. It stopped working and we just hang it on the wall and look at it. And you know what they say about a clock. It's right twice a day, right? Um, even if it's not running. But then we took it to a guy and we had him replace the mainspring. And so it started working. And not long ago, last year, Lois took that clock and she refinished it. And, and she hung it on the wall. And it's a, it's a thing of beauty. We still have it. It's like 40, 40 years old. Uh, when we moved here to Jackson, I wanted to make her happy at Christmas time. So I went to a nice furniture store here. Is there a furniture here called Vermilion? Vermilion? Is that right? Yeah. Downtown then. I went down, looked around, thought, I'll buy something big and I'll lay it away. I bought a curio cabinet. Uh, it had glass and mirrors. It was beautiful. It cost a lot of money. Laid it away, made payments on it, had it delivered to the neighbor on Christmas Eve. Lois called me at the study over at Loomis and goes, Ken, the neighbors are getting something from the furniture store. I'm like, really? What is it? She goes, I just can't tell. It was her gift. And I remember walking over uh, and on, on Christmas morning and to the neighbor's garage and then sneaking that into the house and turning the little light on and watching Lois's face. Because what was I looking for? I was looking for her eyes to light up. I wanted that smile on her face. Well, you understand that, right? Maybe to give a child and to see their happiness. God says, when you invest in gospel advance, when you give to my work, when you serve in my work, when you sacrifice, when you labor, it's a pleasing sacrifice. God's eyes light up. God's favor. Cain and Abel, do you remember that? God says, this is what I want. And Abel brought a proper sacrifice. Cain didn't. In Romans 12, you, you, you read that. I, I met a missionary once, and our church had supported, not this church, another a good church that I served, had supported many missionaries. But some of them had gotten older, and they'd retired. And now there are a lot of retired missionaries that we were giving money to. And I was burdened by that because we wanted to be able to tell stories of God's work to young people so they'd be inspired to give to missions. And, I, and I, I was concerned about how many retired missionaries we were giving support to. And I wondered if it was necessary to do that and if the people needed the support and so forth. And I remember that a man, of, a missionary named Clarence, uh, Clarence Johnson, one of our missionaries, who was retired, very elderly man, came to my office and I met with him. And I began to interview him you know, to find out what his needs were, what his history was. And here's what he told me. He said, years and years ago, the church was a part of a denomination that had gone theologically liberal. And in order to keep pastors in the denomination that had gone theologically liberal, they created a retired ministers and missionaries account so that the pastors would stay in because they have a lucrative retirement. But this pastor said, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to let them bribe me to stay in a group that's not willing to stand for what's right. And so Clarence Johnson left that group, and as a result, he left his retirement. As a, then he served the Lord faithfully all of those years on very little. We were giving him 
$100 a month to help him in his retirement. We continued to give him $100 a month. When he passed away, his widow received $100 a month. These were faithful, godly people. These were people who set aside a lucrative retirement because they were faithful to the Bible. And for years after that, every single month, his widow never failed to write a beautiful thank you note. She's in a retirement area in Missouri. And she would write us a beautiful thank you note. Thank you so much for the gift that you sent. Here's what I believe. When the people of that church gave money to that retired missionary and to his wife, his widow, after he died, that fragrance went up before God. God received that offering. I heard, you know, you know up at Camp Barakel, they had a building burned down. This, actually, I was there and slept through this entire building. I wasn't in the building that was burning. I was in a different building. <laughs> building burned to the ground. And in the building were all kinds of valuable things, tractors and vehicles around the building, probably over $100,000, maybe more than that, valuable things that burned. I heard a story this week that there was a man who passed, and he had a beautiful shop full of woodworking tools. And his family didn't know what to do with all those woodworking tools. But when they heard that Barakel's shop had burned down, they just put all those woodworking tools, those valuable, the entire thing, and they gave it to this camp. And I thought, wow, what a great thing to do. Rather than just sell that, get all that money, buy something you want, just to give that to the work of the Lord. And I believe there's a fragrance that went up before God when that family donated that to that good work. But then there's burning money to the gods when a missionary or pastor or Christian worker isn't doing what's pleasing to the Lord, you shouldn't give him any money. You shouldn't give her any money. That'd be like burning money to the gods. You shouldn't just give money to people who say they're serving God without examining whether or not they're faithfully serving God, else you burn money to the gods. as a stench up before God instead of a pleasing fragrance to God. But to give to God in time, talent, treasure, testimony, is pleasing to God. And then the final thing is, not only do you learn contentment when you get involved in gospel venture, you experience the power and reality of God personally. There is a God, you know. You make eternal investments. You learn to depend on God. You please God. And you live, you experience a rewarding life. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. By Christ Jesus to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. What is glory? Glory is weight, value, significance. It is easy to do everything that you do in life. You know, pay the taxes, get up in the morning, go to work, come home, buy the groceries, do it again, and think, what is, what is my life? What is, what is my life? How does my life matter? What am I doing that really matters at all? I just paying the bills, eating another meal, going on another vacation, it seems empty. It seems weightless. It seems vain. It seems fruitful. Unless you connect your life to something that really matters and really lasts. And in the world, in the gospel venture, in what God is doing in the world, he's made us in such a way that we're supposed to do something that matters to us, to God, that lasts. And this is when we're involved in gospel venture. Yeah, Howard Schultz, you know who he is, right? He started a little company, you may have heard of it, Starbucks. 
and he wrote a biography about coffee. He changed the way America looks at coffee, changed the way the world looks at, at coffee. And he wrote a book called Pour Your Heart Into It. And I just think about that. If Howard Schultz could pour his heart into coffee and change the way the world looks at coffee, what happens when God's people pour their heart into a world cause that really matters? That'd be something to put in your journal, reasons to get up in the morning. John Piper said it this way. He said, it is in the world cause. That was his phrase for gospel venture, the work of God. It's in the world cause that we connect our fragile, momentary, local labors with God's invincible, eternal, global purposes. In other words, when we, when we get involved in what God is doing, we're connecting our fragile, momentary, local labors with God's powerful, eternal, global purposes. I had a friend named Ed Lewis. I met him because my, he taught school with my dad. Years ago, my dad came home from school in Troy, Ohio, and he said, Ken, I met this substitute teacher today named Ed Lewis. He's a believer. He's a devout believer. And he's really bright, and he's headed for the mission field, and he really loves the Lord. He's just a great guy. And I remember my dad talking about Ed Lewis. Not long after that, I got married, and I, I got a job selling cemetery property. Can you imagine that was a good gig? Um, Miami Memorial Gardens, I would set up an appointment, spend two hours talking you into taking care of your needs ahead of time. But, but there was this legendary guy ahead of me. They would say, well, Ed Lewis sold for us, and he did this, and he did that. Same guy. He was a great substitute school teacher. He was a great cemetery property salesman. I got to know Ed myself. And when I was pastoring a church, I called him on the phone once, and I said, Ed, he was with the Evangelical Alliance Mission. And I said to him, Ed, you should come to, to our church. And I was really young. I was about 29. I said, I'm not sure how this works. Do I, do I need to get you a hotel room? And I remember Ed saying to me something I've never forgotten, and I've repeated it myself often. He, oh, Ken, no, no. All I need is a flat place on the floor to unroll my sleeping bag. And if you brew me coffee, we'll stay up till 3 in the morning, and we'll talk about the things of the Lord. And that is exactly what he did. Man from my own heart. Got an old car, flew a sleeping bag in the trunk, drove over, unrolled it on the floor of our rec room, brewed in coffee. We stayed up talking about the things of the Lord till three in the morning. He came to our church, and I said, well, I'd like you to be a guest at our church, and we'd like to su consider supporting you. Uh, and I said, and I, and I would like you to be the mystery guest at Vacation Bible School. Could you do that? Well, this guy was really a colorful, fascinating. He was like a comedian. He was an amazing guy. He was an artist. Uh, he was a speaker. He was super funny. And he said, yeah, he says, um, I tell you what, I got this little thing I do. He says, take the two strongest kids you got in VBS and have them tie me up with a rope. Give them one minute to tie me up with a rope, and I'll get out. And I'm like, okay. So he comes over to VBS and does his Houdini thing. And I remember that day, he was not a big man, and the two biggest kids in VBS tied him up. They hogtied him bad. I thought, He's never going to get out. He really looked bad. I mean, he's tied up, and it, it looked very uncomfortable. And in a few minutes, he was out. He was just a crazy guy. I called him. So our church began to support Ed Lewis, and then he would send us his prayer card, or his prayer letter, 
But his prayer letter wasn't like typed out like normal people do it. Ed was an artist. So he wrote his prayer letter out by hand and he would draw humorous little pictures in it. You always wanted to rip open his prayer letter and read it because it was so unique and so interesting and so funny. He was just an awesome guy. Well, our church went through a difficulty and I called him on the phone one day and I said, Ed, we're going to have to drop your support. Our church is a new church. We're just getting started. I don't think we can continue. So Ed says to me, can I understand? That is no problem whatsoever. He goes, but if you don't mind, you guys have been supporting me for a number of years. He said, please allow me to come at my own expense and just say thank you to the people. And I'm like, okay. So Ed comes at his own expense and he does this thing about Lederhosen because he's from Austria, right? And the Lederhosen are those little shorts that fellows in Austria wear. They have the straps. Never mind. Anyway, but he had a whole comedy sketch on Lederhosen. When he got done with his comedy sketch, when he got done thanking the people, they doubled his support and sent him home. A number of years later, I was serving in another church, and I heard that he was speaking over at Maranatha. And uh, Bill Rudd, who's a very capable speaker, was speaking after him. He was the Bible conference speaker. Ed Lewis was the missionary speaker. And so I said to my son, Chuck, I want you to hear one of the most amazing missionaries and one of the best Bible teachers I've ever heard. And Chuck goes with me. And Ed Lewis gets up, and so usually the way it works is you've got the missionary speaker, and he kind of does the missionary talk, and then you have the Bible conference speaker at a Bible conference, which is usually very entertaining, very capable, very interesting person. But in this case, Ed Lewis gets up, and he does this amazing talk, has everybody in stitches roaring with laughter. It's very interesting. It's very passionate. It's very convicting. It's very funny. It's very entertaining. And then Bill Rudd, who's a very good communicator himself, got up afterward and just skipped all of his introductory material and just introduced the passage, started teaching. We had lunch with Ed that day. And I watched my son listen to this guy talk about world venture, talk about the gospel and the times that he went behind the Iron Curtain and he smuggled Bibles behind the Iron Curtain and he visited churches behind the Iron Curtain in, in Eastern Europe. And, and, and watched my son listen to those fascinating stories of gospel advance and shortly thereafter i called ed it was october of 2000 and i said to ed i'd like very much for you to come to our church's missionary conference and i'd like you to be the keynote speaker at our church's missionary conference he looked at his schedule and he said i'm not going to be available october of 2000 but if you ask me october of 2001 i will come and so it was interesting to me to get up in the morning, one morning in October of 2000, and to notice on the news that Ed Lewis, who is a graduate of the Cornerstone University, had been named alumnus of the year at Cornerstone University. And he went to Cornerstone that night and he received that acclaim, if you will. After he received that, he stepped to the microphone and they say what he said was, well, where do you go from here? And what do you do after you've won alumnus of the year at your college? He and his family got in the car that night. And if you know what it's like on 94 down around the southern edge of Lake Michigan, a, a white squall came in off the lake that night and Ed's car slid off the road. He was unhurt, but when he got out of the car, another car slid off the road and hit him and killed him. And Ed, 20 years ago, went to be with the Lord. 
I was just thinking about him as I was preparing this message. And what a fascinating guy he was. How he made it so clear that gospel venture was the most satisfying thing in the world. And thinking about that for the last 20 years, Ed has been in the presence of Jesus. Think of his reward. Think of the stories that he has to tell. Think of what you and I could send on ahead. We find people who are engaged in gospel venture and we're a help to them. It'd be like a sweet smelling savor to God. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray today that for those who are here who aren't following Jesus, who aren't believers in Christ, that you would draw them to yourself and save them. And I pray for the rest of us that you would teach us, Lord, to invest our lives, not just to spend them, certainly not to waste them, but Lord, help us to invest our lives in things that really matter and things that really last. And Lord, we thank you for the food that we're about to, to eat. Thank you for the time of fellowship that we're about to enjoy. Grateful, Lord, to you for how good you've been to us over these six months that it's been necessary for us to meet outside. Lord, it's something we won't ever forget. We'll always thank you for how good you were to us to allow us to do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.